Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're considering greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Most of the sermon deals with conduct. How do you live? What do you do? How do you respond to other people? But before Jesus gets to conduct, he addresses our character because Jesus well knows, as we know, that conduct follows character, that character produces conduct. And so he begins this introduction in what we call the Beatitudes. It's called the Beatitudes because every verse, every truth starts with the word blessed, and the Latin word for blessed is Beatitude. That name has stuck through the years. The best English word we can use to translate the word blessed is the word happy. And that happy is not some frivolous, superficial thing that we get when we go purchase an item or we take a trip. That happiness is something that's deep within. It's a joy. It's a contentment. It's a satisfaction that only Jesus can give. And it stays there. It stays there even in the ups and downs, inevitable great joys and challenges of life. Jesus presented these truths in a logical sequence, the first three Beatitudes paint a picture of a person who realizes that they are a spiritual beggar. They have nothing to offer God, and they humbly grieve their sin. That's the first step. We understand we have nothing to offer God. We are sinners, and we grieve our sin. A.W. Pink, in his great book, Attributes of God, said this, how hateful sin must be to God for him to punish it to the utmost deserts when he imputed it upon his son. Think about that. All of our sin, some of that sin we kind of wink at, was put on Christ's shoulders, imputed to him. And there Jesus died for that sin on the cross. How hateful sin must be to God for him to punish it to the utmost deserts when he imputed it upon his son. We have to take sin seriously. When we do that, then there's a turning point in our life. And the fourth beatitude is a turning point. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We desire a relationship with God. We desire to know Jesus more intimately. We desire to spend eternity with God. And the result is God never turns us away. He satisfies us. He fills us with this internal satisfaction. When we realize that he has extended this mercy to us, then what do we want to do? We want to show mercy to others. Blessed are the merciful. And then in response to what Jesus has done, the mercy he's shown us, the mercy he allows us to show to others, we want to live a life of obedience. Blessed are the pure in heart, the heart that is clean, undivided before God. Heart being the, our, our thinking, our, our emotions, and our will. And Jesus calls us to that purity in heart so that we can live before him knowing that we are safe with two S's, right? We are significant, we are secure, we're accepted, we're empowered, and we're forgiven. And since God has given us that peace and contentment in our own hearts, then we can share it with others. We can be peacemakers among those in our lives. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. That is the upside-down life that Jesus calls us to. That's a life demonstrated with a distinctive difference. That's the life that demands an explanation. That's the person who is sold out, on fire, ignited. 
That's a person who is more passionate for Jesus than they are for the pirates, the Steelers, and the Penguins put together. Well, thank you. Some of you happen to think about that just a little bit, aren't you? A person who is equipped and engaged in the battle, a person who is truly the salt and light of the earth. We'll talk about that next week. Now, when you choose to sell out for Christ, truly sell out, not just go along, get along, half-baked Christian life, but truly sell out for Christ. Guess what? Not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone's going to understand it. And your life is going to run counter to our culture. That brings us to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. The last beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, I'm pretty sure many of you claim that as your favorite passage on all of Scripture, right? You probably have it cross-stitched, hanging in a prominent place in your home. Or maybe not. That's one of the verses we just as soon skip over and ignore. There it is, man, staring us right in the face. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word persecute means to injure or insult. It can take the form of verbal remarks, oppression, harassment, or death. Throughout history, believers have known persecution. Every one of the apostles were mistreated for their faith with persecution ranging from exile on the Isle of Patmos, John, to crucifixion. It is said that, that Peter said he was not worthy to be crucified like Jesus, so he was crucified upside down. I did a wedding uh, last evening, and so Scott Arvey did the Saturday night service and is in Wilkinsburg this morning. And in Scott's research, he found that according to the voice of the martyrs, about every three minutes, a Christian is persecuted today while we sit in peace, killed for their faith. That's 450 a day. It's 160 brothers and sisters in Christ per year. When ISIS uh, took over Mosul, the second largest city in Iraq, they gave an ultimatum to Christians. They sent them a letter saying you either convert, pay a fine, or death by sword. But the reality was when they paid a fine, they came and took wives and children. Christians are being beheaded, even children. They believe that they are leading the charge to bring Muslim religion to the world. you know why? Because they believe they are in the end times and they are fighting for what they believe. Boy, we could learn a lesson from that, couldn't we? 
two years ago, we were in Sri Lanka about this time of the year. And we were in one part of the uh, area of Sri Lanka, and we were getting ready to head down to another part. And we got an email that morning that the place where we were headed, uh, a church, uh, had been uh, destroyed and, and people beaten by Buddhist extremists. So we made the trip and got down there and went out to see uh, the church, this church, uh, destroyed by these Buddhist extremists. They went into some of the homes of the Christians and ransacked their homes and stole from them. And they beat the pastor. You could see the gash uh, on his head. And they told him if he returned and, uh, and started the church, restarted the church, he would be killed. It's going on all over the world. Persecution takes many forms. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's a lower grade on a college paper because you take a stand for Christ. Sometimes it's a loss of a friend group because you take a stand for Christ. Sometimes it's the joking and teasing for your refusal to participate in sex before marriage or outside of marriage. Sometimes it's a loss of a job for refusing to cut corners like everybody else is doing or to do the things that others do on business trips. When you don't fit in, you get cut out. Now let's be clear, the persecution Jesus is talking about here is not the result of sin. Sin has its consequences. That's not persecution. Neither is the persecution here the result of poor performance. If you get fired for not meeting your quota or doing something against company policy, that's not persecution. If you get fired because you were spending too much time on websites and social media when you're supposed to be making sales calls, that's not persecution. If you get fired because you were lazy or obnoxious or just a flat-out jerk, don't cry, persecution. If you get a low grade on, 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 a, on a paper because of poor grammar, that's because of poor grammar, not persecution. Let's look at the passage again. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of what? Righteousness. The persecution here is because you are living an upside-down life for Jesus Christ. You are sold out to him. Not because you come to church and raise your hands during worship. That's fine. That's great. But that doesn't make you sold out for Jesus. Sold out for Jesus is the distinctive life that you live every day in your singleness, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your business, in your neighborhood. Sold out for Jesus is allowing him to take your thoughts and your emotions and your heart captive to him. The persecution here is because you love Jesus and you're committed to follow him regardless of the cost. Jesus said this in John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind, hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. Not really a sermon we like to hear, is it? 
And Jesus says, this is the part that gets me, blessed, happy, satisfied when you are persecuted. Now, right there, I want to say time out. I, I get it, but do I have to be happy about it? I pray I have the courage to face persecution if that takes place. But Jesus, you're asking me to be happy about it. How could that possibly be? Well, let me show you from the book of 1 Peter. Turn there with me, if you will. 1 Peter. Peter's writing this letter either, either during or right before persecution broke out in Rome. Most people think he's writing the letter from Rome to Roman Christians going through a difficult time. Ridicule and slander and discrimination were commonplace among these first Christians. And added to that, there were times, about six or seven, intense times of lengthy persecution, some lasting a couple years, some more than that. In Rome, after a great fire broke out, Nero blamed the Christians, and started a full-blown persecution. Rome at that time was a culture of immorality and adultery, and so Christians who were not participating in immorality or adultery were called, quote, haters of the human race. They didn't fit in. Juvenal, a a well-known Roman poet, said that Christians belong to the sewage. Suetonius A Roman historian said Christians were, quote, a race of men given to novel and baneful superstition. Tacitus, another Roman historian, wrote this regarding Nero's blaming the Christians for the great fire in Rome. Consequently, he wrote, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abomination called Christians by the populace. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Be happy when you're persecuted. Peter, writing to those persecuted, says, Here's why you can have that inner calmness, that inner peace, even that joy in the most difficult of times. Number one, Peter says, persecution reminds us that we are strangers here. It forces us to think eternally. It forces us to realize we are different, that we don't fit into Satan's realm his culture. We are citizens of heaven. First Peter chapter uh, 1, look at verses 1 through 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect strangers in the world. Strangers in the world. Feel like a stranger? Look at verse 3. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord uh, uh, Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that could never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. That's where your inheritance is. It's not in your 401k. It is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. Remember, Peter is writing to those in the midst of persecution, and he's encouraging them. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. It may be tough now, but you're going to get a crown of glory. Look at chapter 5, verse uh, 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. See, we're strangers here. Do you feel like a stranger? Are you fitting in pretty darn well? So when we take our yearly pilgrimage to Oklahoma, to the promised land, we, um, <clears throat> we stop along the way in Ohio and Illinois and Indiana and Missouri, and we are strangers there. So in January, Lori's mom passed away, and Lori and, and Garrison and Sarah were already there in Oklahoma. And uh, we were here, we learned uh, she'd passed away, so we, got, we packed up and and Lara and her boyfriend and, and, and Mackenzie, we took off from uh, Pittsburgh, and then we picked up uh, Brittany and Josiah in Indiana. And so we're headed to Oklahoma. We're, we're making it in one shot. And uh, somewhere in Missouri, we needed some gas and needed a break. It was late. It was cold. And so we, we got off the highway to go, go to get some gas, and it wasn't right there on the highway. It was like it was off a ways. And it was a little weird, a little creepy. And it's late at night and it's cold. And so we got out and we got gas and we're in the store and um, kind of walking around, just kind of taking a little break. And, and the lady at the cash register says, you look like a family. And I'm getting ready for her to say, um, beautiful family. Looks like you get along well. Family likes to take trips together. She said, you look like a family that would be killed in a horror movie. <laughs> we couldn't get out of there fast enough. <clears throat> I swear, true story. Josiah, who is a great runner, was leading the way. And when he went to the door, there was a guy just standing at the door. Six, six by six, six, I swear. And we went around him and we burned rubber out of that parking lot. Believers don't belong on this earth any more than our family belonged in that creepy convenience store in Missouri. <laughs> Sometimes it gets pretty comfortable here, doesn't it? Even in creepy, sinful situations. When we have all the comforts of the world, it, it dulls our longing for heaven. Why would we need heaven when we got everything here? Jesus says, happy are you when you are persecuted because secondly, not only does it remind us you're a stranger here, 
But secondly, it's a proof of genuine faith. Now remember, it's not persecution for not paying your taxes or committing a crime. That's criminal activity. This is persecution for being injured or insulted because of your love for Jesus. Uh, look at uh, chapter 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Writing to people in the middle of persecution. In this you greatly rejoice, Paul, come on, Peter rather, come on. Though now for a little while you may have suffer, you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which, which, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be what? Proved genuine. See, that's where they separate the, the men from the boys, right? The girls from the women. Standing with courage in the midst of that, your faith is proven for real. This isn't like a hobby. This isn't a cool thing to do on the weekends. This isn't because your grandmother and your granddad were Christians. Your faith is proven real. And that may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Remember that the disciples, one of the first times they were persecuted and they were, they were beaten and they were let go. And remember, they went away joyful, praising God that they were worthy of suffering for Christ. Their faith was proven real. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. But you don't live that life anymore. You used to live in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. But you don't do that anymore. So they think it is strange that you do not plunge with them in the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. You used to be among them. Then you were, you were supernaturally saved and you were taken from them. You don't do that stuff anymore, so they heap abuse on you. Chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ... You are what? You're blessed. For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Will we ever know that type of persecution in the United States? I, I don't know. I pray we don't. We should, we should do our best to work so we don't. But I know this. Some type of persecution is going to be inevitable if you determine to live for Christ. That's what Paul says, 2 Timothy 3. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? I don't know how else to interpret that. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, when... Persecution, the inevitable persecution comes. Maybe it's just insults. Could be worse. When it comes, how do we respond? 
Well, in persecution, here's the third point in 1 Peter. The believer, the true believer, responds confidently and humbly. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Well, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. They speak maliciously against you, but they have no basis to stand on. They are ashamed of their slander. Blessed are, the last beatitude, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Their faith is proved genuine. So this weekend, we celebrate the 239th year of our country. I mean, it's a fantastic country. What a privilege to live here. As I travel, as I traveled around the world, I've been in places like in the bad parts of India and in some parts of Asia and slums of Africa and just think, Lord, why me? Why do I get to live in the United States of America? I could be here. What a privilege it is to live in still the greatest country on the face of the earth. But I got to tell you, my citizenship is not found in my passport. My citizenship is in heaven. And wherever I travel, I'm a stranger there. And it's time that we start living like children of heaven. This is a defining moment in our culture for believers. I believe this is the most exciting time we have ever lived in because now we get to see what a true believer looks like. No go along to get along anymore. We get to see what a true believer looks like looks like. And we must respond spiritually and we must respond strategically. Number one, we must take a stand for Christ. There's no one to blame what's going on in our country but ourselves. We have taken marriage lightly and let the world redefine it. We've taken marriage lightly and we've let the world redefine it. And we're surprised. We should never be surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. While we must always do our democratic duty, that's a beautiful privilege we have. You better be voting. At the same time, we've got to come to grips that the government is not our God. And when our country, while our country was founded by many true believers, and there were true believers, it was based on Judeo-Christian principles some of you won't like this, but we've never been a Christian nation. 
And if you don't believe that, sit down with Zeb Thomas, who has our campus pastor in Washington. Zeb has his master's in constitutional studies. It is a tremendous document, but it's not a Christian document. If you want to see what a Christian nation looks like, go back to 312 and look what uh, the Byzantine Empire looked like under Constantine. You won't like what you see. Or go to the 15 and 1600s and look like at what it was in the Church of England when Cromwell was there. You won't like what you see. When, 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 when nations claim to be Christian nations, heresy and corruption take place. God never intended for the church to run nations. God intended the church to get people ready for heaven. And we have to be those who are willing to do that. We can't be silent any longer. Silent is agreement. We must speak the truth and always in love and gentleness and respect. Stop the foolish arguments on Facebook. <clears throat> We have to look people in the face one life at a time, speak in normal tones, and live a loud life. Quit being a jerk in our speech. Love, gentleness, respect. We must live positive, passionate lives sold out for Christ. We have to demonstrate that we really mean what we say. We have to demonstrate that our stance is not against a person, or a group of people, our stance is for Jesus Christ and the transformational eternal life that he promises. Our loud lives must cut the banter and demonstrate what a life sold out for Christ looks like. Now, some will be attracted by that, and some won't like it at all, and there may be persecution. Don't be surprised. That's a proof of genuine faith. Secondly, we have to invest in the work of Christ. I am not ashamed to ask you to give to the work of Christ here at the Bible Chapel. We have to, as believers, put our money where our mouth is. It is time to invest in the church where 209 kids made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. You want to do something for the kingdom? You keep investing in that. It's time for us to invest in a church where five kids in the inner city this past week had their lives transformed by Jesus Christ. Think of the impact that that's going to be. We must disciple and encourage our youth and children. And we have to do the work to change one life at a time. And you need to invest in that. The media arm of the church is called The Journey. When we launched five years ago, the first series of messages we put out was on biblical sexuality. And we're not going to back down on God's word. We have the opportunity to share that to our country, whether in from this, all from this pulpit and in broadcast or podcast or in print. Martin Luther said, there are three conversions. You know what they are? The mind, the heart. Third one is the purse, the pocketbook. And the percentage of income that many believers give to the work of Christ is absolutely appalling. Appalling. Let me tell you this. Grace is not the trump card for pathetic giving. 
average giver at our church gives, you know what? 3.3% of their income. And we're high. And we want to change culture. We want to invest in the kingdom. Some of you are investing in entities and organizations that promote the very thing you oppose. And it's time you start investing in things that are going to change eternity. And here's where you start. And if you want to go out of here saying all I talk about is money, you feel free to do that. But I will not back down on asking you to give to the work of Jesus Christ. And we got to pick it up. That means sacrifice. We like to talk. Time for action. I've spoken in Muslim countries where we shut the shades, spoke in low tones so the neighbors wouldn't hear. It's a room full of people. I've spoken in communist countries where we had sheets of words that we had to use code so that no one knew why we were there. We huddled together on the 14th story of an apartment building and had a group of 12 or 15 people doing church together. I've spoken in those extremist Buddhist areas that just demolished the church. We were told that night the turnout may be a little low since we were only a mile from where that church had been destroyed. And guess what? They were right. If we as believers are truly serious about that not being the country that your grandchildren and great-grandchildren live in, then you better put your money where your mouth is. We can't talk about being citizens of heaven and invest in only things of earth. We can't talk about being citizens of heaven and looking a lot like the world when it comes to how we spend our money. We have to share the gospel boldly. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Think, let that verse just soak in. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Why are you willing to be beaten, imprisoned, and put to death for the message of Jesus Christ? He says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That's what changes people. It's the gospel. See, we think we can sit down with someone and convince them from the outside in how to think. Now, you know what Einstein said insanity was? Doing the very same things over and over and expecting different results. How have we done so far? It's time we share the message of Jesus Christ and allow the heart to be changed from the inside out. We can't change people from the outside in. It's from the inside out. I love this quote from C.H. Spurgeon. Here's what he says. The gospel is like, the, is, the gospel is like a caged lion. It doesn't need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of the cage. 
And it's time for true believers to let the gospel out of the cage. Let the power of God that brings salvation out of the cage. It's time to quit playing Facebook debate. It's time to turn off Fox News. It's time to get busy about doing the work of Jesus Christ and quit acting like we're defeated because we only have the message of eternity. It's time that we take that message to our network of friends, our family, and share the good news of Jesus Christ. It is time to let it out of the cage, isn't it? With love and respect and gentleness. That's what transforms lives. That's what transforms hearts.